Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Weeks of classic film. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, so Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of The 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for The 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. If you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, The 50-Year Mission, So Say We All, The Complete Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, and Nobody Does It Better, The Complete Oral History of James Bond and Spymania, all available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Hi, this is Peter Holmstrom. And this is Lisa Clank. We are back in the Trexperts host seat for another episode. This time we have a very special guest. He was a uh, starring role on Star Trek Voyager. Um, Works with Lisa Clank a bit as the host, co-host of the Delta Flyers podcast, which is very cool. Uh, Mr. Garrett Wan is here. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you, Peter, for pronouncing my last name correctly. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> Gold oh, star for Peter. I did, yeah. <laughs> I did I did listen to a few uh, convention panels just to make sure. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. So how you doing, Garrett? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Peter and Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Very uh, awesome to be here. You know, yeah. my, my, fr- my first question I wanted to ask is, uh, mm. here we are now, 20 years since Voyager wrapped up. And honestly, it seems to be more popular than ever. It's uh, not only is it the number one streamed Star Trek show on Netflix, um, but also uh, a recent uh, successful crowdfunding campaign to do a documentary about Voyager was the number one most uh, crowdfunded documentary ever. I think it was up to like $1.3 million or something like that, like a, a large amount of money. I'm getting the free uh, coffee mug coming my way soon. <laughs> uh, it looks so cool. I had to get one. Awesome. Well, thanks for donating, Peter. Of I appreciate that. Of course. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, tell us a bit about like that well, experience for you. 
Well, first of all, just to talk about the crowdfunding campaign, I just want to thank all the listeners out there that did donate. And they weren't sure. They honestly were not sure how that crowdfunding campaign was going to go because it's in the middle of the pandemic, right? So the thought process was, well, you know, we're probably not going to get as much as the DS9 crowdfunding campaign got or whatever. You know, that was the that was the concern. But right off the bat, um, the numbers were crazy. And it was just uh, within... That 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 million mark was within a few days, basically. Yeah. Or I think yeah. you know that we hit. It was absolutely incredible to to see that outpouring of support from the fandom, and um, <laughs> no, you know, we couldn't be more happy about that. And um, in terms of footage, they did film quite a bit on the cruise and the Star Trek cruise in two thousand and twenty. Um, excuse me, two thousand and nineteen. Is that right? No, the beginning of 2020. That's when it was. Right. Yeah. Um, that was the very last Star Trek cruise that happened. Um, and also one of the last Star Trek events, period, that happened yeah. that year. Yeah. And then right after that, I think when we docked, um, they loaded up one more boatload of people. Same company that throws a Star Trek cruise, but they threw an 80s music cruise. So Ooh. people that were into 80s music. And I'm into 80s music, so I was like, maybe yeah. I'll just stay on this boat with them, you know. But, uh, um, so they went out and came back, and that was the very last, last final cruise um, wow. of the cruise industry, pretty much at that point. Um, so we got a lot of footage. We got a lot of footage on on the cruise. Um, the cameras followed me around. I think they're making me a, a big focus of this documentary. Um, if you think about it, if you look at the series itself, um, Kim is Kim is kind of the everyman. It's been my special pleasure to see many new officers like yourself come through these portals. Your parents must be very proud, my boy. You know, on an occasion like this... I'm really not interested. Interested? You were about to try to sell me something, right? I was merely going to suggest that your parents might appreciate a memento of your first mission. And you happen to have several to choose from? I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. We were warned about the Ferengi at the Academy. Warned about Ferengi, were you? That's right. Slurs about my people at Starfleet Academy. What I meant was... Here I, I am trying to be a cordial host. Knowing how much a young officer's parents would appreciate a token of his love on the eve of a dangerous mission, and what do I get from my trouble? Scurrilous insults. Well, somebody's going to hear about this. What's your name, son? My name? You have one, I presume? Kim, Harry Kim, but I... I... And who was at the academy who warned you about Ferengi? You know, I think a memento for my parents would be a great idea. Oh, no, 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 no. Really? What are these? Would, would make a great pendant for my mother. Or cufflinks for your father. Cufflinks. Great idea. They're not for sale. Now, inform your commanding officer that the Federation Council can expect an official query. How much for the entire trade? Cash or credit? You know, people kind of mm -hmm. see... Um, Voyager through the eyes of Kim in a way. So I think mm -hmm. their choice of using Kim as, as a focal point, or at least Garrett Wong myself as a focal point of this documentary is, is pretty cool. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we got a lot of footage there. We got some interviews back in LA as well. Um, I did the, they told me I was the longest because we're doing multiple interviews, right? Uh, where we sit down with them in different locations. 
So I did interview interviews on the ship. Um, I kind of hosted and, and had people follow me around. But then when we came back, um, I did uh, an interview at one of the producer's homes at his house. And they said, I hold the record of the longest interview. I think it was six and a half hours. Oh, boy. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here going, huh? How long is this? They're like, well, long enough that everyone, we can hear everyone's stomachs growling right now. It's just like, <laughs> so everyone was hungry and I was like, okay, we should wrap this up. So it could have went longer. I just want to say that, wow. but that, that was like the Guinness book of world records for Trek interviews. The longest <laughs> one. Um, they have plans to, um, to come out to, uh, I think the London convention coming up okay. at the end of yeah. uh, this year. Yeah, Star Trek Destination London. And um, they're going to be filming there. So th- they have a lot more, you know, they have a lot more footage to 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 film basically, right? So, um, and then somehow compile all that together and and come out with some something that the fans are going to enjoy. So that's yeah. the goal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing too. Like I know at first there was as you said, they were unsure. They were talking, maybe it was just going to be an hour documentary and then it kept expanding upward and upward. And it seems, I know the Deep Space Nine documentary is doing a similar thing where they're working on an expanded version of it. And mm. it's just the hunger for this content from yeah. about Star Trek is, yeah. is ever present. Um, you know, was it in your mind at the time in, in 95 when you first set foot on that soundstage that, you know, this was going to still be alive this form, you know, so many years later? Yeah, um, I, you know, the moment I realized that this would be an ongoing and long-term um, situation was when I went to my first convention, mm-hmm. which was in 95. Uh, January 16th was when, uh, Monday was when Voyager premiered of 1995 on the UPN network, United Paramount, the now defunct United Paramount <laughs> network. Well, I guess it's the CW now. I think uh, WB and UPN merged and became so. CW. Yeah. yeah. So um, that weekend was my first convention. So uh, Monday it premiered and that weekend I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota to fill in for a sick Kate Mulgrew. So Kate was supposedly the guest. And they called me last second and said, hey, can you um, fill in for Kate? And this was on a on a Thursday that they called me. And I said, well, when do you need me? Like, well, you, you need to fly tomorrow. I said, oh, God, okay. <laughs> so I went out to extremely cold Minneapolis, Minnesota in January. Um, and, you know, when they announced me and they opened up the doors and I walked in, I could not believe, I thought, I thought this was going to be a talk with maybe a hundred people max in the room. And there were over 5,000 fans in that wow. room. And I was like, oh my God, what? <laughs> and so it's just seeing that room filled with passionate fans is what really just made me realize, okay, this is, this is something that's been around since 1966 and will continue for etern- eternity, basically, until, you yeah. know, it just, it's just not going to stop. I mean, there's, there's not going to be a day where all Star Trek fans are going to be, are going to say, hey, I'm done being a fan. We're, we're good. You know, <laughs> yeah. we don't need to see anything else. We're good. You know, uh, no, it's just going to keep on going. And look at all the different new series that are out. If you're talking about Discovery and Picard and Lower Decks and and on and on. And I know Robbie has had talks with um, with uh, Kurtzman's people and and there is definitely interest in doing a Captain Proton something. You know, really? So have, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Now, when we last saw our heroes... They'd just retaken their rocket ship. Dr. Chaotica had escaped, but he left behind his trusty robot to foil Captain Proton. My designation. All right. Your Constance Goodhart. 
You're my secretary. Secretary? Yeah, you tag along on all the missions. Now, I want you to keep the robot occupied while I save Earth. Computer, run program. Citizen of Earth, surrender. Do not resist. I am Borg. Surrender. The robot has been neutralized. May I leave now? Come on, Seven. Give it a chance. The galaxy's at stake. They have that interest. I don't know if I'm allowed <laughs> to say that, but I'm going to, you know, but but it is there. But they have so much on their plate that they're juggling. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it's, I don't want to say it's being shelved, but we're, we're, we're at a plateau right now. We're kind of waiting to, to reach the next higher level, which is, you know, hey, we're now developing it, you know, so we're, but there is interest. So we'll see. Awesome. We'll see what happens. Maybe yeah. it's time for another Kickstarter. I know. My <laughs> goodness. I should tell Robbie that. I should say, listen, if they're not going to do it, we should just kickstart this sucker. You know, I mean, if yeah. we can kickstarter a documentary, I am sure a Captain Proton, uh, either animated or however you want to do it, radio play, you know, how, however you want to do this project, yeah. mm-hmm. kickstarter or crowdfunding um, is an excellent way of doing it. You know, the radio play idea is so cool. Like, it feels like audio dramas are such on the rise right now, especially through Audible. And it, it feels yeah. like Star Trek is uh, fertile ground for that. You it know? really is. So, it yeah. really is. I agree. I agree. But you've done some voice acting, haven't you, Garrett? Um, a little bit. I mean, I've definitely done voice acting in the Star Trek world. Um, the first uh, voice acting job I had was Star Trek Voyager Elite Force, <laughs> the game. <That's, laughs> this is, yeah. And now this is a game that people still play to this day. People are yeah. like, I love playing this game. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I remember doing that voiceover work. It was just so funny because I'm sitting in that studio and you're doing everything. You're doing even reactions. Um, yeah. So they're saying, okay, so this, this next section, Garrett, is you reacting to getting shot by, uh, uh, by the person playing. I'm like, wait, so I'm supposed to be on the same team. Yeah, but we understand that, but sometimes players goof off and they, they like shooting people on their own team. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so here I am going, ow, ah, ooh, ah, like making these sounds. And then I had to say like, hey, stop it. I'm on your team or something like that. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so really, um, I love doing voice acting. It's just, you, you can roll out of bed. You, you don't have to, your hair could be a mess. You don't have to put on anything, uh, any, any specific type of clothing, anything, no wardrobe mm-hmm. involved. Um, just show up <laughs> and yeah. bring your voice, right? So I would love to do more of that. That's for sure. Yeah, it's famously you see Mark Hamill all the time just wearing sweatpants and oh my large God, Hawaiian yeah. shirt. And I'm just like, I, I, I love you, sir, so much. So much. <laughs> he, he is, see, that's that's who I aspire to be, that's, is Mark Hamill and, and his <laughs> his career post-Star Wars. Amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I do, I do feel that... Uh, I do feel that I have the chops in terms of doing different voices to mm-hmm. kind of match Hamill or maybe, you know, um, go beyond what he's done. If I, if I focus on that, you know, like what, what are the things I wanted to do with Delta Flyers? We have a lot of, um, we have, we have the free podcast, but we also have subscribers for our bonus kind of pod, podcast and bonus materials. And one of the things I've wanted to do is I want to impersonate that whole, remember that whole commercial thing for, Oh my God! Was it 
was it Uber Eats or it's one of the food delivery services? Oh yeah, and with Patrick oh, yeah. Stewart, Patrick Stewart and Mike yes, yeah. yes. So I want to do. I want to impersonate all of. I want to duplicate all of that stuff. You know, you know? <laughs> tomato. You know, and you know, when they're sitting there going off at each other. I mean, that was some of the funniest. And the fact they didn't that they didn't keep up with that. They should have just kept going with those two. Like oh, those yeah. those yeah. two could have been yeah. their whole advertising campaign. I know they threw in yeah. that Olympic gymnast and then some random comedian that's dressed in drag basically. And I'm like, why are you putting these people in? They're not funny. They're not talented. Who cares about these two people? Um, yeah. Unless you're into Olympic gymnastics, right? And then the other guy, I don't even know who he is. And it's like, okay, no, let's go back to Sir Patrick and Mark Hamill. Yes. Uh, yeah. yes. Who, you know, he should be knighted as well. Mark Hamill, he is royalty in the Star should Wars be. world. Oh, he totally. <laughs> An international night, uh, yes. intergalactic night. I think that's a new category they have to there you adopt. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's so curious. Like looking back at, uh, particularly your character Vincent Kim. Like we we hear so much from actors who who worked on Star Trek. A lot of them came from theater backgrounds. A lot of them came from um, doing multiple guest roles in in Hollywood. Um, uh, but for you, you, you came into Voyager pretty much, you know, you were still very fresh in Hollywood, right? Like you hadn't had, yeah. um, I'm curious, like those first few days kind of getting your, your you know, engines in gear, so to speak. And then, you know, getting that element in place because Star Trek is such a specific type of acting, you know, it's um, uh, a very specific language that mm-hmm. uh, some people find it hard to, hard to navigate. Yeah. So are you just asking me to talk, talk, to that about how I prepared or yeah, how- Yeah, like, especially in those early few episodes. Yeah, like yeah. how did you acclimate yourself to the Star Trek world? Yeah, um, well, first of all, I, I do want to say that um, I did do a ton of theater before I, okay. you know, yeah. before I was cast gotcha, in gotcha. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. Mm-hmm. And I remember Ethan Phillips had a conversation. Up with that. That's okay. Uh, Ethan, Phillips <laughs> so, had a con- uh, Ethan Phillips and I had a conversation. This was like season four or five. And he said, you know, Garrett, you really should think about doing, trying, trying theater one day. And I was like, oh, I got, so, and that was not the first person to say that. There's a couple people that actually brought that up. And I was yeah. so offended by that because I was like, <laughs> I was like, come on, you, you know, don't give me this elitist theater talk that, you know, is coming out of your mouth. I mean, come on. I did theater too. I did. That's all I did for I trained and did theater for five years before I even got an agent because my parents wouldn't let me get an agent. They, they threatened right. to disown me if <laughs> I continued this silly, silly notion of being an actor. And so I said, okay, so what do you want me to do? They said, well, you can keep it as a hobby, you know, and then still go to med school and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then be a doctor. And so I can be a part-time actor and then a surgeon. Is that what you're saying? They're like, yep, that's fine. We're good with that. You know, and Chinese parents are they're pretty hardcore. <laughs> they really want you to, to do... Um, they want you to do things that are that have been proved, proven, yeah. you know. And if you're an immigrant Asian par- uh, parent living in the United States, proven is a doctor, proven is a lawyer, proven is is getting your CPA or your MBA, right? Yeah. That's a proven job. You know that if you have that degree, you're going to get work. And if you're if you're not a complete idiot, you're going to rise up in the ranks of the corporate world or the medical world or the or the, the the law, the world of law. Um, but acting or music, anything creative, not something that is approved by Asian immigrant parents. Yeah. And then if you talk about the history of, of um, Chinese history, if you, go, if you talk about Chinese in general, 
there is a ladder of respect of occupations. Mm -hmm. And the very top rung, the very top rung, the most respected is teacher. Really? In the United States of America, teacher is kind of the bottom of the rung. And it's ridiculous because teachers are basically honing and molding the youth of today, you know, so they should be the way, the way the Chinese view teachers, that's how Americans should also view teachers, but that's not the way it is. Right. Teachers are paid crap. Teachers have to deal with, you know, incorrigible kids that are, that basically weren't taught the right, the right values at home. And, and teachers have a lot, a huge responsibility period. So in China, top rung teachers, the very, very bottom of the rung is the merchant. So any businessman is on the low, the lowest rung. And then on the, and then there's not even a rung of the ladder. It's the very, the cesspool, the the very bottom are actors. (laughs) So so that, that is where the actor falls in, in um, Chinese history. Cause it's the, the thought process there is that um, if you're not smart enough, intelligent enough to be a teacher and you just happen to be someone who, you know, looks good. You have a good look, whatever. Um, but you're stupid. Well, the only thing you can do is is act. You know, and that's what we're gonna. That's what we'll, we'll put you in. And so, yeah, acting has never been um, something that that Chinese people think it, to be a pro- a profession to aspire to. Right? That's just not, it's not honorable. It's not respected. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's, nowadays with the modern society, it's it's different. Like if if uh, uh, Jet Li or Chow Yun-Fat or, or Jackie Chan walked down the street, there are definitely people that are bowing to them and rushing to them and trying yeah. to get some type of autograph, you know, when they're walking around Hong Kong or mainland China or Taiwan, they're getting attention. Yes. And there's people that wish, wow, I wish I could have as much fame as they are. They do. But historically speaking, actors are on the bottom, 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 bottom rung. Um, so um, I did... S- you know, so much training and so much, so much theater because I just didn't, I couldn't get an agent because of of the infighting I had with my parents Mm -hmm. about my choice of profession. Um, So when I got Star Trek and I, I noticed, you know, the language is definitely very stylized. Um, And to me, it's, it's similar to Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of, you know, I did a lot of classical um, theater as well when I was younger. And I thought, okay, I can handle this, you know? And for me, I was a a sci-fi fan to begin with, right? So of Mm -hmm. the Voyager crew, I'm going to say Tim Russ and me, you know, and I'm not going to, and nobody else really. I mean, they've all seen it, but, you know, Kate, except for Kate, Kate, I don't think Kate even watched an episode of Star Trek, to be honest. She, she, I don't think she had any, any notion of what she was getting into when she first (laughs) started. Um, But being a fan really helped, you know, because that, that Mm -hmm. made me excited about reading scripts. And a lot of times, I remember in the first season, my fellow actors were always, you know, complaining to me. They would read this section of Technobabble in some monologue that they had in a a certain episode. And they would say, what? God, what is this? I don't get this. What am I saying? This is just gibberish. (laughs) And they would say, you know, they'd turn to somebody else and say, don't you think this is ridiculous? And they would say, yeah, you're right. It's so difficult to understand. And then they turn to me like, doesn't this bother you? I'm like, no. <laughs> you get this? Yeah, I do. I understand it. You know, I, I do. I, I get the science behind it. Um, I've always been a nerd, so I, I understand this. You know, my favorite, I think my favorite class in high school would probably have to be physics. You know, I loved physics yeah. um, more than anything else. Um, I think 
English is cool too because you know if you can write, you can do anything. So writing is writing is a, a key thing. But so that's what me and Lisa me, think as well. No, I agree. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I, you know, anytime some college, some person about that's a freshman in college, if they ask me, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what to major in. I say English. <laughs> just, English. Yeah. Just go to English. Just major in English. That'll that'll set you up for the rest of your life. If you can write, it doesn't matter what field you're in. If you can write, you will be successful. End of story. That's it. <laughs> That's my honest belief. So yeah, for me, I handled I handled the, the dialogue and 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 everything pretty easily. It wasn't it wasn't something that that made me um uh you know lose my mind like some of my co-stars, right? Yeah. And I actually and for really really long sections of Technobabble, I used I utilized or I came up with this way of memorizing lines. Um, where I would basically take, let's say, let's say this, let's say this this line had maybe 10, 10 words of technobabble in a row. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would take the first letter. So I would basically use like an acronym. I would take yeah. the first letter of every of each one of those words of technobabble and I would replace it with something much easier. So I would it, it would become like um Tom uh ate a pancake, like, you know, something like that. So it would be very three letter words or, or basically short, quick, easy pedestrian words that, mm-hmm. you know, the dog and cat jumped over the, um, uh, uh, whatever bicycle, you know, something yeah. like that. So then I, once I attached it to something really easy while I was going through my lines on camera, that would help me if I ever came to a point where I was stumped. I'd be like, oh crap, what's that next word? Um, and then it, it would be, it would be uh, dog. And I go, oh, dilithium, dilithium is for dog. Okay, all right, I got that. Yeah, so this is, this is the way I came up with that. And I gave, I showed this to, I showed this to Robbie McNeil. He was like, hey, I like that. I'll try that. I showed it to Bob Bacardo. Oh, Garrett, thank you. This is really, this is very helpful. So I helped all these guys out, but then, Years later at a convention, Robbie McNeil's talking about like, you know, yeah, you know, Bob Accardo showed me this acronym way of learning thing. I go, what? <laughs> you son of a gun. And then so this crazy bullcrap, you know, a myth came up that it was Bob Accardo that came up with this. And even Bob would say that. And he would say, he, I remember season seven, he goes, Garrett, you know, if you're having a problem with your lines, you could use my acronym technique. I go, that is my technique that I taught you season one, you jerk off. And I was so upset. I was like, what are you talking about? So just, just like uh, on Voyager, Harry Kim, everything happens to Harry. Harry Kim gets no respect. Garrett Wong got no respect when it came to the acronym with my, co- my co-actors, you know, t- taking the, the credit for something that I clearly came up with to help them. So anyway... <laughs> Well, credit hogging aside, I mean, I got the impression that you guys all got along pretty well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I tell him, I call him a jerk off right now, but I, I, I definitely, I definitely think that we had a fun group of mm-hmm. people. You know, we're all different people. Like I always say, my biggest, um, my biggest regret is is that the producers and writers, sorry, Lisa, <laughs> did not take advantage of the humor of everybody. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you if you watch Voyager. As a fan, you're going to assume the only people that can make anyone laugh is going to be Bob Picardo mm-hmm. and Ethan Phillips. You're not going to yeah. think anybody else has any any bit of a funny bone in their body. But is, that is so far from the truth. The truth yeah. of the matter is each individual, each actor, each main actor on Voyager is hilarious in their own right, in their yeah. own way. And so I'm, say, I'm saying 
even Kate, Kate Mulgrew, Robert Belt- Beltran, um, Robbie McNeil, hilarious in their own way. We have different senses of humor, but still very funny people. And that is something that I will regret to this day. And I will feel that that's, that's the one stone that was left unturned, you know, utilizing the talents, the comedic talents of everyone across yeah. the board. That's something that I'll stand by that to the day I die. Yeah, no, Paramount took Trek very seriously. And uh, they definitely steered us in the direction of, of drama. Yeah. You know, and, and, and sort of would cut out lighter moments. Yeah, but if you guys, I mean, everyone knows, when you watch the original series, at the end of the episode, when the main characters are kind of ripping on each other, those yeah. lighter moments, that's the moments that we all love. It's yeah. like, oh my God. Because every episode of TOS, TNG, Voyager, every episode is basically we're all going to die. You know, there's something's going to happen to this ship or something's going to happen to this one character. That character is definitely going to die. Like someone right. is going to die. And then there's so much tension, so much drama. And then at the end, at least in TOS, everything's cool. It's light. They start picking on each other and then everyone's yeah. laughing, right? We need more of that. You know, that's that yeah. just to balance it out. I mean, I understand the studio has their in- intentions of this is this is serious. This is a drama. This is blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. but you got to balance it out. Life is about yeah. balance, right? If it's all drama and no play, mm, it doesn't work as well, all right? I'm not saying it doesn't work. It just doesn't work as well. I think that Star Trek Voyager would have been um, a better show if they were able to find somehow to weave in the comedic stylings of every single person. It is interesting to say because TOS would even have full-on comedy episodes. Like Lisa and I did a, a audio commentary the other day with David Gerald on Trouble with Tribbles, which is Love David, which is yes. a comedy. You know, it's a funny episode, definitely. And, but then you look at TNG, and there was clearly episodes that were written to be funny, but the director <laughs> just had no idea how to direct comedy. And and the actors are doing it funny, but they're just they're not. It's just not quite there yet. And then yeah. Deep Space Nine, there would be some funny episodes. Yeah. But um, Voyager, I think, kind of got caught into that like little, you know, it's just it, it, they weren't quite sure how to handle it, you know, in terms of yeah. like yeah. the the Doctor yeah. could be funny, Neelix could be funny, but but those yeah. were kind of character specific, and they didn't want to go full in on a full on episode. Yeah, and with one or two to, exceptions. I mean, you know, right, with a couple of exceptions. And to add to my argument, if you're talking about all the original series cast feature films that came mm-hmm. out, right? Um, number four, yeah, to me. I think is one of the most, if not the most popular, one of the most popular. And I think the reason behind that popularity is because of the light moments that are sprinkled in there. And it was directed by Nimoy, who Mm -hmm. has an excellent grasp of humanity and how to play on that and how to play on comedic moments. And good Lord, you need that to balance out the drama and how everything's going to end. You know, the world is ending. But let's be funny right here to balance it out. And that's what that movie has. So there you go. Totally. Yeah. It's definitely like when you look back at the 90s, like the X-Files hit it so well. They were able to do just very funny episodes. Mm -hmm. And then next week, could come back and do very dramatic episodes. And they found that kind of happy, uh, almost Hitchcockian medium, right? Where you have more intense suspense one week and then comedy next week and then that actually makes the suspense even more funny or that more scary the next time it happens yeah but um but yeah that's awesome i uh, agreed and if you look at if you look at x files i mean because of that how they produce that and how, how what you just said the fandom the fandom for x files is very loyal and just oh, yeah. there, there's so many people that just love they love x files and part of it is because of the fact that yes there were some there were 
why is this doing this? There were some, uh, there were some lighter moments. <laughs> it has a mind of its own. I'm just going to keep doing this during it. It's like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So X-Files, again, because of the way Chris Carter decided to, to add those lighter elements into that, that created a very strong fan base to this day. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I have yeah. a random question for you. Yeah. Is it true that you were once named one of people's 50 most beautiful people? Ooh. <laughs> uh, yes, I was. <laughs> it's funny because people keep getting it wrong. They're like, wait, were you one of 50 most sexiest people? I'm like, no, that's not the right, you know, that's not the right moniker. And then they'd come up with, oh, are you all these different names? But it is People Magazine's 50 most beautiful people issue, which is an iconic issue that, that is. you know, to get that is a huge PR coup if you oh, can yeah. land that, right? Sure. Yeah. And the irony of the situation was I had gone through five publicists. I was the only person other than Kate Mulgrew who had paid for a publicist outside of the show publicist. There was a, mm-hmm. uh, a show publicist, Bender, I think it was Bender Goldman Helper or something like that was the name mm-hmm. of the, the show publicist. But Kate Mulgrew and myself were the only two people to grab to employ a, a, our own personal publicist and and they're not cheap <laughs> they're no. not cheap they 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 charge you quite a bit so when i had these publicists and i kept hiring and firing and hiring and firing the best they could come up with honestly was they would every you know they would come up with it was always the same thing they'd say garrett we've got this wonderful interview for you wonderful um it's with uh, wkzz in lincoln nebraska and it's going to yeah. be their morning show so you're going to have to do this at about 2:30 a.m. pacific time <laughs> and i'm sitting here going what why is this the best interview ever i mean what <laughs> do you why don't you get me on something and i was so frustrated because i would see I saw John Stewart. John Stewart had a talk show on MTV. Okay, that's that's where he his, that's where he cut his teeth, but way back in the day. Now MTV, what audience is MTV? Kids, right? It's kids. Yet they interview Kate and they interview Bob Picardo. Which kid wants to watch their uncle and their bald uh, their bald uncle and their aunt on you know to be interviewed? Nobody cares about them. They want to see people that re- remind them of themselves. So the the correct interview should have been Jennifer Lean and Garrett Wong, the two youngest, the youngest guy and the youngest woman on on Star Trek Voyager. That would have made sense, but no, that didn't happen. And so I was watching this, going, "Geez, this is not you know." I'm I'm so frustrated with this. So I fired my fifth. And final publicist, I didn't get one after that. And two weeks after firing that publicist, I get a call from People Magazine saying, hey, we've selected you as one of our 50 most beautiful people. I said, is this from my publicist? Oh, we don't even know who your publicist is. I go, okay, um, what? And also the next day, E! Entertainment Channel called up and said, yeah, we've selected you for our list of the E's 20 coolest bachelors. I said, oh, did blah, 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 publicity firm call you? They said, no, no, nope. We just, you know, someone in our, we just decided we wanted you on. I'm like, wow. So the two best things publicity wise that I ever got while I was on Star Trek were not from publicists. They just kind of showed up. And I did find out later that the People Magazine gig, the People Magazine um, accolade was because somebody was sitting in the audience when I was on stage at a convention in Denver, Colorado, yeah. uh, I think the name was called Starland or something. And they had ties with People Magazine people and they saw me on stage and they called up and said, you got to 
I think you guys should pick this guy. And that's how I got on from my yeah. convention. And I remember that convention appearance was probably the most flawless um, on stage. And even, and even when things went wrong, I, I, I took the lemons and made lemonade out of it. Like I remember um, my fly was down for the first 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> I didn't know that. And so my, my girlfriend at the time was standing at the edge of the stage and all the stage lights are on. So I didn't even see her. She was in the dark and I kind of hear her going, Garrett, Garrett. And finally I look down, I go, whoa. And I walk over to her. She goes, your fly has been down this entire beginning of your panel. <laughs> and I'm like, and, was, and you know, some people would freak out and go, oh, and kind of, you know, start getting turning red and get embarrassed or whatever and try to hide it. No, I didn't hide it. I just, I just, you know, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I've just been informed by my girlfriend that my fly has been down for the entire 15 <laughs> And so I, I just, you know, I built it into the show basically, yeah. right? So, um, and in my early convention appearances, I would never dress casual. I always dressed up. So I was wearing an Armani, I had an Armani suit on, not a tie, but suit, dress shirt, everything, you know, and uh I was walking off stage after it was done, uh, after this rousing applause, and Armin Shimmerman from Deep Space Nine, Cork, is sitting backstage. And I see him, I go, Armin! And he looks at me, he's like, Garrett, I never come early, you know, to my panel, but I came early today, and I listened to your whole panel backstage, I could hear you the entire time. And good grief, kid, how am I supposed to follow that? Is what he said. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I nailed that one. You know, yeah. so so over, you know, over time I've gotten respect from other Trek actors like Armin. Um, I know Sir Patrick has has mentioned something to Jackie, his main assistant, saying, Oh, that Garrett is doing such a great job on stage. So I've I've always had this <laughs> on-stage persona live on stage that has been um, you know, uh, something that for me, it's like breathing. It's like natural yeah. for me. It's very natural. Like I, I remember when um, um, that morning show, uh, the remember when Regis and Kathy Lee used to do oh, it, yeah. and mm -hmm. then Kathy Lee retired, and so then Regis got Kelly Ripa, and then uh, Regis retired, Kelly Ripa then got Michael Strahan, the ex football player, and then he left, and so when there was that opening. I guys, I literally started looking for real estate in New York. I thought yeah. if I even get the chance to just, it just the, if someone opens the door slightly for me, I'm going to nail this. I felt I'm going to nail this. I'm because it's live. It's a live show, and that's mm -hmm. my forte. I'm, I'm that's what I do. I bought. I went out and bought new suits, thinking, oh, I'm totally doing this. I'm going to nail. <laughs> that's how confident I was. But yeah. I could not get a door. I couldn't. Nobody I knew had any connection with mm. that show except for Daniel Day Kim who guest starred on Voyager and he was the first guest host. And so I tried, oh, really? to, yeah, I tried to message him on Twitter, every social media thing, nothing. Couldn't get a hold of him at mm -hmm. all. And I was just sitting there going, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe this. Yeah. And they end up picking Ryan Seacrest. And I'm going, you picked the guy that interviewed me when I was on Voyager? I was so upset. I was like, oh yeah. God, he's too, he's too relaxed. You know, Ryan Seacrest <laughs> is just too relaxed. He's not... He's a, he only did that job is because he had his own talk show that he tried out and he flopped miserably. So yep. this is his way of kind of boosting his own ego to make himself feel better. Like, hey, I'm actually still good, you know? <laughs> um, but I, again, in reality, I feel like I would have, I would have been a much better co-host. And what really was so frustrating was watching because I was doing my research. The minute that that straight hand left, I watched every single episode every morning and she kept bringing in these guest hosts who were A-list celebs, right? So it'd be like, oh, Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory, you know, oh, yeah. oh blah, 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 from uh, Newt Lost Girl. So 
And I kept going, no, wrong. <laughs> when you found Kelly Ripa, you plucked her out of obscurity from the soap yeah. opera world. What better co-host than plucking somebody out of the sci-fi world? Sci-fi <laughs> and soap opera go hand in hand, my friends. Like that yeah. is perfect. But no, you kept looking for, because. and I wanted to say, if you only use that strategy looking for A-list people once um, Kathy Lee retired, you never would have gotten Kelly Ripa, you know? Yeah. So that, that was my big argument, right? Yeah. So. Oh, so anyway, I, I digress. Uh, the bottom line, <laughs> and what I'm trying to say is, is that is what got me on to 50 Most Beautiful People issue, right? Yes. Is is that that onstage persona or that onstage panel that I did? And it was so funny because everyone was giving me crap about that. Um, yeah. They were, yeah, they were just, uh, it, the makeup guys especially, because oh, after, <laughs> yeah, after 1997, in 1998, when I didn't make the list the next year, they, they would say, hey, Garrett, you know, we're really sorry. You clearly, I mean, we know you're number 89 this year. So, and every year that went on, they would say, Hey, Garrett, I know you fall into 157. And, uh, you're, you know, I hope you make it back up to 50 most beautiful, but you're, you're 235th most beautiful person. And so we're so sorry that you keep dropping in the rankings. But yeah, that was a coup that, to be able to get that. That was quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. That sounds like you had a lot of fun doing conventions. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And just on a side note, of, in that issue, the only other person to be in that from the Trek world um, for the longest time was Sir Patrick Stewart. That's it. So Sir Patrick and myself were the only two. And then once they cast Michelle Yeoh in Discovery, Michelle Yeoh has been in there uh, before she was on Star Trek. So she's mm -hmm. sort of a, she's, there's, an, there's an asterisk on that. On that. There's a <laughs> footnote there. Yeah. You were saying conventions. You were uh, yeah. You had a good time doing conventions. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's for me. It's it's um, it's something I would do if I was not an actor. I would go to yeah. conventions anyway. So and now that I'm I'm an actor and and I was lucky enough to get on Star Trek. Going to conventions as a guest is even better. It's the icing on the cake, right? So I yeah. you will never ever hear me saying, Ugh, yeah, this weekend I'm flying to go do some fan thing. Like I'll never, ever, ever be that person. And there, and you'll see that person. You can go to comic cons or Star Trek conventions and you'll see certain actors that you'll just, you don't even have to, they don't even have to say anything. You'll just look at them and you can feel their energy, which is, yeah. I do not want to be here. <laughs> I want to yeah. be back in my hotel room and I want to bolt and lock every lock of my door and stay away <laughs> from these crazy fans. And I, I've yeah. never been that guy. Cause I feel like if that's who you are, don't go, yeah. don't go to that convention because you have fans that maybe have adored you for a lifetime. And when they come up and, and they read or get a taste of your sour puss attitude, you've just ruined their image of, of that entire show practically. You've probably, yeah. Maybe you've lost that fan forever, yeah. right? So if you're not into it, go find some other way to make some passive income. You know, don't go to the convention. That's my word for every, every person that ends up uh, making it in Hollywood. Uh, if, you, if you're not into doing the fan shows, don't go because it does, you can't hide it. You cannot hide yeah. the fact that you are not enthusiastic about being there. You know, you, yeah. can't, have, you can't hide that. It's very palpable. So um, that's a caveat for all you potential <laughs> Hollywood stars <laughs> out there that are listening to this podcast. Well, you know, I think it, it it speaks to the effect that Star Trek and, and a lot of, you know has had on on people and continues mm -hmm. to have on people. Like it, it touches people on an emotional level, and so sure even now, you know, they want to connect in some way, shape, or form with that, and so they want yeah. to be able to shake your hand. Uh, they want to be able to you know speak with you, hear you speak in person, you know, tell mm -hmm. tell your stories and things. Mm -hmm. And 
And it, it's, it's got to be, I, I would imagine, just incredibly humbling and, and touching that, that people, that, that your work has been able to have that sort of impact world over. You know, and it's, yeah. And it's been really, um, it's kind of over, it's, it's a bit overwhelming to hear some of these stories um, sure. because they, you know, they're stories that, that are true stories. And a lot of times they're stories of hardship. They're stories mm-hmm. of loss. They're stories of, you know, I've had people say that they were, they were in a really horrific car accident. They were in the hospital. Um, somebody brought them Voyager DVDs and, you know, their prognosis was not good. And watching Voyager pulled them out of the depths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you hear things like that and you start thinking, wow, this is something that has helped people yeah. survive. Like I've had, I've, I've had multiple people over the years tell me, if it wasn't for you and your show, I would be dead. Oh my God. I wouldn't be alive right now. You saved me. You saved my life. You saved me from killing myself. It's just like, wow. oh my God. I mean, how can you, you know, you can't do, you can't watch the Kardashians and get that out of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's so much where the, the housewives of, of Beverly Hills, you get nothing. You get nothing out of that. Reality, yeah. reality television is the same thing as a, a car accident on the freeway. Everyone has to looky-loo at it, right? Yeah. It's just sort of like there's a human fascination with 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 loss and and just you know hardship to to see other people experiencing it. I guess because mm-hmm. I guess maybe that makes that's what makes people feel better about themselves if they can see someone on television kind of imploding. <laughs> it really, yeah. is it, you know, maybe that's why Jerry Springer show is so popular because if you yeah. can see. If you can see, wow, well, at least I'm not like those people. Exactly. <laughs> My life's okay, you know. Yeah. So, but but no one's gonna say, yeah, you know. I came this close to, to, to dying and the Jerry Springer show saved my life. I mean, never, <laughs> that's never going to, that's, that's a thought, yeah. that's, a, that's a phrase and it's never going to come out of anybody's mouth, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, so Star Trek has, it's been so powerful and so amazing in so many people's lives. And I know also when Robbie and I started, you know, uploading our episodes of the Delta Flyers, my goodness, we had so many um, emails from people saying this pandemic was just, killing sure. me, like literally sure. killing me. I, I, I just, I couldn't handle it. And you guys are just like a, a breath of fresh air, you know, or just like this beacon that, that this light at the end of the tunnel that every yeah. Monday we could listen to your, to your banter. And, and it just took us away from the world's problems. You know, we weren't thinking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. We weren't thinking about what's going on in the, in the, in the medical field when it comes to COVID. You know, these, yeah. these things were, were set aside and they were kind of given a, a bit of respite. And that, mm-hmm. to me, um, you know, it, it, it warms my heart to hear yeah. that. for a test flight, not a suicide mission. How can we put the new Delta Flyer through her paces without taking a few risks? <sighs> Another risk like that, we'll have to rebuild her all over again. There's a vessel coming up fast off our starboard beam. Shields. Range 50 kilometers. 10. It's pulling alongside. Wow, nice ship. It's scanning us. This is Lieutenant Tom Paris. Please identify yourself. Vectored exhaust ports, accelerated driver coils. 
Your vessel must be fast. Gets us where we want to go. Check your scanners. You'll see a comet on the other side of the asteroid field. I wonder which of our ships could get there first. Sounds like a challenge. Are you going to accept? We are not going to race her. This is a test flight, right? Yeah, but... What better way to test the new ship than to see how it stands up to a little competition? We're ready over here. Should I count to three? Guess not. Yeah, and in fact, I we received an email fr- uh, probably about a week ago from a gentleman um, down in um, somewhere in South America, and he he went on to say that he did get COVID and mm-hmm. he was in the hospital. And typically, they take all the personal like when you get admitted to the hospital with COVID, they take your cell phone, they take everything like you don't have anything, but they forgot to take his. So he had his charger, his cell phone. So he was able to log in and he was able to download um, all the Voyager, uh, sorry, the uh, Delta Flyers episodes mm-hmm. um, as well as um, watch Voyager stuff uh, as well. So he was listening to Delta Flyers, watching watching the Voyager episodes while he was dealing with COVID. Yeah. And he was saying that um, the main thing is when you have, that breathing apparatus attached to you with tubes down your throat is that most people are flipping out and not able to remain calm because of just the claustrophobia yeah, of it, true. everything like that. True. And he, and in this email, he talked about there were, there was more than one patient that he shared a, that room with that died because they had a panic attack, a wow. panic attack from wow. trying to rip this equipment off of their face. Like they couldn't, and they had a heart, a panic attack, a panic attack, which then led to a heart mm-hmm. attack and they Jeez. died. And he said, your Delta flyers and the fact I still had my mobile device kept me calm and not going to the same place of that panic attack as as the guy in the bed next to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like going, oh my God. And so I'm going to, I think I'm going to read that um, and uh, as a bonus and record myself uh, uh, for Delta flyers as a bonus material thing, because it's just, it just needs to be, it needs to be said. Oh yeah, Yeah. definitely. definitely. So people realize. what's going on. And still, there's a lot of people in this world that think that COVID is a hoax. They don't think it's real, you know? And it's like, well, here's a letter from somebody who really dealt with this. So I want to, yeah. you know, I want to share this with everybody. And it's mm-hmm. it's just so emotional. I just remember I, I couldn't stop crying when I was reading this thing. I <laughs> yeah. was like, oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. So um, yeah. So Star Trek Voyager specifically has been a, a godsend for many people in in uh, many different countries and in many different walks of life, right? So um, it's a good thing. Well, I know for me personally, like I, I grew up with the next generation that was on like seven nights a week syndication and Voyager mm-hmm. was part of that as well. And like so much of just my own life philosophy and kind of moral code comes yeah. from Star Trek specifically. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I'm curious as, as you as an actor playing these, these, these roles and getting a script, you know, maybe, maybe the amazing ones from Lisa Klink or uh, <laughs> from, <laughs> from someone else, uh, whatever, but, but seeing all these like, very real world problems being portrayed as as in a sci-fi setting, of course, but still like like you're tackling some big ideas, you yeah. know. And, and and what was what was that like to be to know that you were uh, confronting like some some very strong uh, messages in, in in the show? I think at the time, being in my twenties when I started sure. um, acting on Voyager, 
I was just more grateful that I was working. Sure. Mm-hmm. I was getting a paycheck. I wasn't really focusing in on the, the underlying message or the lesson that each Star Trek episode um, provides for the mm-hmm. viewer. I wasn't really focusing on that. I don't think that really came into my, you know, it didn't be, it wasn't something that I thought about until I was in New Zealand and I was signing autographs at a convention in New Zealand. And this gentleman came up to me and he said, this is for my wife. Can you make it out to, to make it out to her? And she's sorry that she can't make it, but she's at work right now. I said, oh, well, what does she do? He says, well, you're going to find this interesting. She works for um, the, the New Zealand uh, Federal Penitentiary. Mm. So basically where Tom Paris was uh, in prison in the beginning yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in New Zealand, right? So, so Maybe she not works, quite as nice of a prison. Yeah, yeah not, quite, not, not quite as nice. Not the uh, outdoors. Uh, yeah, not not the park in Griffith Park. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Boy, this is a really nice area that he <laughs> gets to work nice in, stuff. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go there um, for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I said, okay, so she works for the, the New Zealand uh, Federal Penitentiary. Okay, so what does she do? Um, he's, he said, uh, she's a... She's the, the prison psychiatrist. And I said, mm, yeah. oh, okay. And he said, you're going to find this interesting. Um, when she first meets with each prisoner for the first time, she finds out, she talks, you know, she finds out about their life, you know, what happened, what are their major issues? What are the things that made them go down that path of crime? Whatever, things that they couldn't deal with, you know, what is it? And whatever, whatever they divulge to her, she then finds the corresponding Star Trek episode that deals with that issue and makes yeah. the prisoner watch that episode wow. as their as their therapy. Wow. And I thought, huh? Are you, <laughs> what? Come again? And then I started thinking about, oh my God, that is brilliant. I mean, because like, you know, you can, when you talk to somebody, you can talk to them until you're blue in the face. And sometimes people don't like to be talked at, right? Yeah. But if you make them watch something, you, then they're like, oh, this is entertainment. This is actually a TV show. It's easier to give a message to somebody. Yeah, It's like the Trojan horse almost, right? It's <laughs> sort of like, you're like, hey, look at this wonderful gift that we're giving you. This is a wonderful gift of a Star Trek episode, but hidden yeah. inside, right? Or yeah. this, this message. So and I, so yes. And so, and that, so that's one of the things when we started the Delta Flyers, when we, we basically, our format, we recap the show, we talk about, you know, the point of the, the plot and whatnot. And then our, our conversation revolves around like Robbie will talk about the directing aspect of it, you know, different shots and stuff like that. And, and then we'll talk about our memories of on being on set. But at the very end, I, I told Robbie, I said, I want to make sure that at the end, you and I both discuss what we think the lesson is behind this show, behind this episode, the underlying message, the theme, the lesson mm-hmm. that you can get to live a better life, the blueprint to live a better life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we both talk about this. And that's the very final thing that we say for the, the free podcast that we throw out there. Um, the very, very end is just, what's the, what's, the, what's the lesson that you're getting from this episode? Because I think it's so important for people to, to, um, to be able to have that as a way to self-therapy, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, therapists are not cheap. They're kind of expensive. So if you can do some self-therapy using Star Trek (laughs) and your Netflix subscription, a Netflix subscription is much cheaper than going one time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. One year of Netflix is going to not even equal one session of therapy, right? So it's, you're okay. This is the cheapest way to to heal yourself is watch Star Trek. (laughs) Garrett Wan says, quit therapy, watch Star Trek. Trek. (laughs) All all of a sudden, all these therapists are like, they're like, all right, we got to 
We got a wanted poster. See this guy, Garrett Wong? Take him out. Take him out. Lawsuit yeah. after lawsuit. <laughs> lawsuit after lawsuit. Yeah. Hey, Garrett, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Chase Masterson. Are you uh, friends mm. with her at all? Yes. You know, know she Chase, does yeah. the uh, Pop Culture Hero Coalition. That's right. That really uses that as its basis, you know, to talk about, um, you know, real issues using figures from pop culture and, and, you know, Star Trek and Marvel heroes and all that kind of stuff. So she has an entire organization kind of based on that principle. Yeah. I think that's wonderful that she's doing that, the, the, the anti-bullying, you know, that Mm -hmm. she's, she's uh, embarked upon. Um, Although I'm going to share with you guys right now. I called her out one day though. (laughs) She was, she used to do this thing around me where she would do this Asian accent. And so then all of a sudden I was like, I was like, yo, you're all about anti-bullying, right? Well, guess what? You doing like, oh, you're talking like a, you know, you know, <laughs> some chopsaki accent. Yeah. That's bullying. You know, that's not, that's not, that's not acceptable. And you should have seen her face. She yeah. was like, <laughs> it was as if I just goosed her. Like I just stuck something right up her bum. And she was like, <laughs> she just looked, she had this look and she's like, oh my God. Garrett, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay, Chase. I mean, you fall in, you've fallen into something, a pattern, what a lot of people do, you know, which is sort of they they've done this and it's been it's been something that has not been um how do I say this? Like if I my best okay, you guys remember the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm-hmm. right? So in that movie, um there is a scene that, uh, uh, oh God, what is his name? He dresses up like an Asian guy. Uh, Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Yes, Mickey yeah. Rooney. He does this horrible Asian impersonation yeah. with these buck teeth. And he's like, he's talking so, oh God. But see, that that movie was a massive major film when it came out. And it's still very popular. People watch it. Mm-hmm. And that's my point. If it's, if it's included in a film like that, where everybody in America watches then it's sort of condoned. It's like, oh, yeah. hey guys, making fun of Asians is, is fine. We can do yeah. an impersonation of them. And it's absolutely A-okay because Mickey Rooney, who is all American, he does it and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so this is the crap that, you know, um, that I have to uh, deal with, that I've been dealing with my entire life. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of, at least in this country, there's a lot of people when it comes to race relations where they say it's black versus white. And it's always about black versus white. And they fail to realize there are other shades of colors there, yeah. right? There are yeah. Asians, there are Middle Eastern people, there are Latino people, but it's always black and white. And that's yeah. what infuriates me is because people have to acknowledge that there are other races and ethnicities out there. And, and historically speaking, I'm going to have to say, Asians have had it worse. The only other group that's had it worse than Asians or on par with Asians have been Middle Easterners because of all the the warfare in the Middle Mm -hmm. East, Persian Gulf War, this, that, you know, blaming blaming 9-11 on on Middle Eastern people where uh, I have my own conspiracy theory on that. But I'm going to I'm going (laughs) to say sometimes when you think the enemy is abroad, just look, look Look around you and in your own home, and that there there is the truth. Therein lies mm-hmm. the truth. And so uh, I feel that that I feel that Asians specifically have had so much crap um, over the years that they've had to deal with, and it's been condoned. Like nobody ever like stands up and says, "Hey, you know." Except I usually I will do that in public yeah. if someone says something to me. I'll, I'll 
I'll do it. I'm not going to be the quiet, you know, demure Asian who just kind of like takes it. You know, yeah. I'm going to say right out off the bat, like, hey, that's messed up. You mm-hmm. should, that, that's totally racist to what you just said, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and so what I had one guy say to me, wow, your English is really good. Oh my God. And I said, that's because I was born here. Like, oh no, I can still detect a hint of of, of uh, Oriental uh, in your uh, accent. Wow. And I was like, first of all, Oriental is for food and rugs and not people <laughs> or accents, you know? So I got yeah. really upset about that. I was like, where are you getting this, you know? Um, and so, like I said, I another thing that I'm just, I'm non-sequitur, I'm segueing here. There was oh, a, please. yeah, there was a, I remember on the in Daily Variety, which is the one of the two, uh, there's Hollywood Reporter and Daily Variety. These are the two industry, Hollywood industry papers or, mm-hmm. or publications that come out every day. And this is before I got on Voyager. I remember looking at the headline was um, um, Sinbad, this is the, the African-American comedian mm-hmm. Sinbad. Sinbad inks a deal with Fox where unprecedented, where they ordered like 24 episodes of a show without him showing a pilot. This mm-hmm. is without him filming a pilot. Like that doesn't, that's very rare that somebody yeah. is given a full season order of, of, sh- of episodes without even showing them a pilot, right? Yeah. And then his quote was like, it's just an uphill climb, you know, being, being black in this country like that. Uh, I've had no help, no this. I was like, dude, did you read the headline of your, <laughs> of your goddamn, you know, article on you? You got to be kidding me. So, you know, I... I definitely can feel and I can support BLM and I can support African-Americans in this country. But, you know, I wish African-Americans would help out with Asians every now and then, you know, or at least realize that their plight sometimes, you know, especially Sinbad, your life ain't that bad, man. If you got a whole selection, you got a whole order of episodes like that. What are you complaining about? You're, you're, you're talking as if you still have chains on your, on your, on your hands, you know, on your legs like that. You're not in chains, you know, and some of that. And unfortunately, a lot of people have chains, mental chains in their head. So I think that's the biggest issue with African-Americans is that they've been um, historically kind of put in this box by the majority and they've sort of stayed in chains, even though these are mental chains, you know, they're not mm-hmm. physically bound to any place. They're not, you know, uh, dealing with what happened in 1850s or, or, 18, or when they first came over here from Africa. Mm-hmm. That's not the situation, but there's mental chains involved, yeah. you know, and it's interesting enough, a lot of the violence against Asians right now are from African-Americans. Really? Mm-hmm. 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 And I think it is because, you know, the higher the higher rate of COVID in in lower economic areas, you know, like more uh there have been more people that have have died from COVID. So I'm almost feeling like that's really where the impetus is from. Yeah. Someone's aunt, someone's grandma died who raised them, and they think that it's all because of China. It came yeah. from China. So I see a Chinese person in America. I'm going to knock them down and yeah. try to kill them. And, yeah. and that is so wrong because yeah. the Chinese that are already here had nothing to do with the <laughs> COVID that came from mainland China. Damn it. Of course. So, you know, I just uh, gets my goat. It really does. Well, and it's it's interesting how I've heard you speak at conventions a few times how um, when you first were cast as, as Harry Kim, mm-hmm. you, you made it a point to... Uh, try and avoid certain Asian stereotypes in in not only yes. your portrayal but also the way like costumes were designed and things like that. And it's something that I've uh, always loved about Star Trek too is that there's always a concerted effort to be like we're people, we're Starfleet officers, you know, first and foremost, and we can still um, 
uh, uh, glorify and and promote diversity, but it's mm-hmm. it's always like in a positive way in that way as well. And so it's um, it's it's always been such a, a highlight of of Voyager, especially. It's just like mm-hmm. these are um, empowering roles. It it seems like for me as a viewer anyway. But well, look at Voyager's. Uh, ethnic breakdown. Yeah. This has got to be the most diverse of all Star Trek casts, right? Yeah. Even even it's more diverse than Discovery, Picard, than all those shows. It, it is, it is there. I mean, you don't um, typically if you're talking about um, the original series, it is amazing that Sulu was there. Uh, George yeah. Takei's character really was one character that I looked up to as a kid because he didn't have an accent. You know, when mm-hmm. you're growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, in the '70s and '80s. Man, you don't see a lot of Asians on TV that are not speaking with 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 an accent, yeah. right? And so the only two people, the only person, there, there was three people actually: George Takei on, on reruns of, of Trek, and then there was the Calgon commercial, yeah. <laughs> which was like, you know, <laughs> we're like, Mister Lee, how do you get these clothes so clean? Mm-hmm. Sorry, can't tell you. Ancient Chinese secret. And he didn't <laughs> say it with an accent; he just said that. And then we hear his wife in the back going, "Honey, we need more Calgon." And then yeah. the yeah, and the, and the the customers like, "Ancient Chinese secret, huh?" Like I that. So those. yeah, those <laughs> so those that couple. Thank God they didn't make them have accents, right? They own like a Chinese laundry, but they didn't speak with an accent. So that was already groundbreaking at that time. And then um, George Takei, and that's it. Everybody else, accent, 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 accent. And and that's something I, I said to the producers. I said, look, mm, I'm very, very sensitive to, to portrayals of Asians on television. And please, whatever you do, don't make Ensign Kim go to the replicator and order a bowl of chop suey, you know, or, 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 or fried rice, you know, don't do that. Just, just make him Starfleet first, Asian second, you know, yeah. and, and they, and they did, they stuck with that. And if you look, if you look at every cast since the original series, um, the, the diversity there was Sulu and Ahura. So you had mm-hmm. uh, one Asian and one African-American, right? And then you jump to TNG, and then they kind of lost it a little bit because they were like, okay, we'll just have white people and a couple of black people, you know? And it's yeah. like, okay, and none, nobody else. And so they kind of, they kind of, in my book, they regressed. They kind of went backwards, yeah. you know? They they kind of went, they took that that stance of what I, I spoke about earlier that all race issues are black, white issues. Hey, there's other colors, you know? There are, there are a lot of other colors. And I don't yeah. know why you guys are always just honing in on black and white. So then uh, DS9, Mm, yeah, but I mean, you did have the inclusion of the first uh, actor of Middle Eastern descent with mm-hmm. uh, Sadig El Fadil, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. I'm, I'm a big, big Sid fan, uh, mm-hmm. Alexander Sadig. I, I changed his name. See, that's the thing I'm bummed out about. I really feel yeah. that Alexander Sadig should have kept it as Sadig because sure. he kind of buckled to yeah. the system in a way. He kind of felt like, oh my God, I need a more American name. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't want to stick with my ethnic name. Oh, I like your ethnic name. That's who you yeah. are, man. So, I, But if he wants Alexander Sadiq, he can have that. Um, but then other than that, you have Cisco, who's, who's you have a black captain and, a black, and his son, right? Mm-hmm. And then Worf eventually came in, but uh, Worf is not really, Worf's Klingon, but, but played by a black actor, right? right? So, so again, it was kind of heavy black white issue again, right? Mm-hmm. With a sprinkling of Middle Eastern, one little dollop of, of Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little dollop of hummus, and then that was <laughs> it, right? So yes, just talk food from now on. We're just gonna, <laughs> and then um, then Voyager pops in, and it's like, look at this cast. It's 
crazy. It's not even a male captain. It's a female captain. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And that's what I was fighting against again. Uh, back in the publicity days when I had the publicist, they were only looking to do stories with the female captain. They didn't really right. care about, you know, publicity for some young Asian guy, right? So um, so we have the female captain, which is huge. And then the, then you have you have a Native American character, amazing, a half Klingon, half Latino character. Not a lot of Latino representation in Star Trek. And, and that was like, wow, that's amazing. So you've got Torres, um, you've got Chakotay, then you've got Kim, who to this day, I, I find it incredulous that the writer, uh, that Brannon, I'm going to say specifically, thought, and I guess everyone else at the time, that Kim was Chinese. And Kim is clearly the most Korean name you can have. But that was, that was, whether that's truly what was in the mind of Brandon or if he was just giving me crap or, or something, I don't know what, but he, he believed that Kim was Chinese. And then that made me think, wait a minute, there are times that Harry walks down the hallway and he'll, he'll say, you know, Tom, there's an old Chinese saying. And I wrote it off as, oh, well, Harry Kim, being Korean, was a huge fan of Chinese studies or something like that, or really studied a lot of Chinese history. That's how I validated it or how I justified it. But in reality, I think there is a little bit of confusion <laughs> in mm. the mind of, of some of the writers. Um, so then if you think about everyone across the board, Voyager is clearly... You know, and oh, and 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 Tim Russ—that's the first black Vulcan that we've seen, right? Yeah. A Vulcan that's that's not fair-skinned. So, such such a diverse cast. That's why I think Voyager is the best of all the Star Trek shows. It is the most diverse cast, and this is what because you want a show that reflects the world, right? Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. a show that reflects. America and the hood in America. So just black and white only. It's got to have everything, you know? It yeah. really does. Um, and I hope I don't offend any, any African-Americans that are in the upper class, in the middle class and saying, well, we don't all live in the hood. I know that. I know you don't all <laughs> live in the hood, guys. You know, I'm just saying that that's always been the main issue, that race relation talk always revolves around black folk and white folk, you know? And they don't consider all the other folk that make up this world and especially this country. Mm -hmm. America is the most diverse country, I believe, in the world, right? Like yeah. there's everybody here. You can, you can, uh, you can, I would have to say, yeah, I would have to say there's no other country that has the, the broad selection of ethnic backgrounds that the United States has, like just everything, every obscure country you can think of, there's somebody from that country living here right now, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the only thing we were missing really from our show is a Middle Eastern character. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Sid, you know, kind of filled that role a little bit as Bashir, but it would have been nice if we could have had somebody too um, representing yeah. that group. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's so bizarre to look back, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago and yet to see how much, how far we've come, how far obviously we still have to go, but obviously like, Back then, I've heard stories you guys were getting hate mail on a regular basis about just having a female captain, you know, yeah. and that was seen as being like an offense against, you know, I don't know what. But, um, against something. conservative, against yeah. American conservatism? <laughs> yes. Against yeah. yeah. <laughs> values or some yeah. stupid thing Our like that. Yeah. <laughs> we, it, but don't you guys find that funny? I mean, we, yes. it, it being, being the freest country in the world, we are still in this puritanical sort of like this so there's so true. many people in this country that it looks like they just stepped off the mayflower it's like wait a <laughs> yeah. minute uh, how can you how are you why are you thinking that way yes, like absolutely. why can't a woman be in the why can't a woman be in command yeah well that's just not right 
that's just not right. You know, yeah. why? Why is that not right? I mean, how is that possible? She's, she is completely capable of doing her job. She just happens to be a different gender. She's still yeah. a human being, you know. I mean, it's not like yeah. so it's not like Captain Janeway is 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 a rutabaga or a fruit, <laughs> you know, sitting there. She's a human being. She can yeah. get, get the job done, right? Yeah. All right. I mean, if they cast her as a tomato, I understand. Right in tomatoes <laughs> can't be captains. That's impossible. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I always liked about Voyager is that nobody cared that she was female. You know, it was, it was a total non-issue. Yeah. Uh, and that was true for for everybody in the cast. It's like nobody ever commented on, say, that's a black Vulcan. I mean, yeah. nobody cares. No. And so it's, you know, that that's the ideal future that I would like. Yeah. You know, is that it's just a non-issue. Yeah. And I do, I do believe that that the inclusion of the Janeway character has meant everything for certain people. Um, there are certain women in certain fields of science right now that they are only there because Captain Janeway. Mm-hmm. That was their influence. Janeway was their George Decay. Like as George Decay was to me, Janeway has been to many people. There are people in politics. There are female politicians that kind yeah, of- Yeah, Stacey Abrams. Yes, that, that are huge Janeway fans. And once again, I honestly believe Star Trek Voyager and the inclusion of the character of Janeway is ultimately going to lead to a female president. I feel like, you know, and now we have a female vice president. So it's Voyager and what we had to go through sort of, you know, we paved the way. We -hmm. paved the way for the acceptance by this puritanical country (laughs) value, this really, really super conservative, backwards conservative values country um, that we live in um, to kind of open their eyes a little bit to realize that, you know what? It's okay if we have a woman in, in command. It's okay. Yep. In charge. Yeah. You can catch up to the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? All the other major countries out there, they already had female leaders. I know. <laughs> We're sitting here and it's like, uh, you know. And so when people talk about, you know, when when Hillary Hillary lost, and I was like, you know, she didn't lose because of, you know, this reason or that reason. She lost because this country is still backwards when it comes to looking at gender um, and, and equality, right? Yeah. They, they don't feel a woman should be paid the same amount as a man, which is yeah. such crap. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I, it doesn't, I, I, she shouldn't be paid as much if the other person has better skills and is doing their yeah. job better. But if you're a woman and you do the same job, you should be paid the same amount as the guy next to you, period. Right. But that glass ceiling has existed in this country forever. And so it's free and is amazing and free speech as this country is. There's still so many things that that we're still kind of working past, you know, and that and for me, that big issue for me, the biggest thing that that's going to make this country complete is when we vote a female president in. Then it's going to be like, okay, yeah. All right. There we go, you know, because then yeah. everything else can come after that. Then we can have a gay president. Then we can have a, a, a transsexual president. Then we can yeah. have, a, you know, everyone else can also kind of come in line and and, and get their shot at, at running this country, right, yeah. at that point. And it just takes one, just takes one to sort of break into the old boys club and then that's it, right? Yeah. That'll be in our, in our lifetime. It will be. It will definitely be in our lifetime. I mean, if if you're, I mean, and plus we as Americans and, and all the conservative Americans out there, they watch the news. They look at the, oh, Germany has a female leader. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
oh, England had Margaret Thatcher. So they're seeing this. They're kind of getting they're getting exposed to this, you know, yeah. and, and then uh, from the inside, you know, Voyager being the Trojan horse, they're being mm-hmm. exposed to a female in command from Voyager if they mm-hmm. happen to be watching Netflix or whatever. Right. So it will happen in our lifetime. I agree with that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I, I definitely I would want to see, frankly, an atheist president, too. Honestly. Yeah, like, no kidding. It, somebody sure. did a, a study a few years ago, kind of canvassing the country and like um, most Americans would vote for a Muslim. Most Americans would vote for a Catholic, but you vote, you get people who vote for an atheist, the numbers plummet, like just plummet. Like it's like 50% would or less would vote for an atheist, whereas like 80% would vote for a Muslim or, you know, and obviously this is a study, so it's not, you know, it's a small it's sampling, kinda, yeah. but it's still, it's just shocking to me that like- It is yeah, shocking. Yeah, it that is shocking. is kind of where American conservatism to me is like rooted in, is rooted in religion. And, yeah, yeah, because, you know, I mean, I, I'm just wondering how, how are they thinking, what is the thought process behind, yeah, an atheist couldn't do that job. It's like, you know, because if you're thinking about somebody who does, who, who is considered religious, like a religious pe- a president who's Christian, who's, who's Catholic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they pray to God. Well, God's not going to pick up a phone and answer them and say like, okay, this is what you should do when you're yeah. dealing with Iran. And like, you're, yeah. not, you're not getting a direct line to your deity, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, really, um, it makes no sense. If you're looking at it that way, the pure Vulcan logic, it yes. makes no sense no, no, at all, no, no, right? No. no. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sure we've also lost about half of the listenership. From yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Oh, oh God. I see. It's another funny thing is stereotypes. People always ask me uh, growing up. So your parents Buddhist? I'm like, no, they're not Buddhist. Like they, yeah. that's the quick assumption. My, my parents, um, now that we're talking religion, my, my <laughs> mother, her great, great, great grandfather was one of the, was the first person to be, um, to brought to be uh, brought into Christianity in his village, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and so then he became a huge um, kind of you know he would he had like a rickshaw that he would write signs on and put them on the side saying Jesus loves you and all this stuff back. This is yeah. like hundreds of years ago, and so he would do he would go out and try to uh, and get new con- converts to Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so I I've you know growing up. Uh, Vacation Bible school, Sunday school, church. Uh, that was my life, and I did that a lot. And um, um, and my parents, you know, for me, my awakening was seeing how gossipy some of these women at church were, sure. and how yeah. like, I, like you know what, you're talking about being Jesus or godlike, but boy, you're not acting anything like that. And so yeah. this kind of turned me off to religion where it made me, it made me angry because yeah. they were telling my mom how horrible of a mother she was. Like you, they were like, you know, your child, me is just, he's, he's a, a wild animal. Like that. He doesn't, you know, did you teach him any, you know, did you teach him how to behave like yeah. that? Cause I, I was kind of the class clown, the crack up, you know, and just messing around and doing my own thing. But these other mothers were so mean to my mom. And I was mm. like, oh my gosh, like, this is just, this is not right. You know? So yeah. that kind of turned it off for me. So I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't really keep up with that when I moved to LA and, and yeah. that's something that's, you know, that, that really, that really bothers my mom right now to this day that I don't go yeah. to church, you know, like she, she, I remember when she visited me when I was filming, my mom and dad were there and, um, I had a nice trip. And then when she's leaving, they were getting into their rental car and my dad's in the driver's seat. My mom is like, 
getting into the passenger seat. And as she's closing the door, she goes, think about God sometime. And then closes the door. (laughs) (laughs) He drives away. And I was thinking, this is such the Christian mom thing to say. I guess so. (laughs) Yeah. And and she didn't have to say anything else. I mean, because if if it was a full sentence, it would have been say, it would have been, instead of living your life of debauchery, think about God sometime. You know, (laughs) it's kind of what she was trying to say, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. So religion. So that's something for me that on my Twitter and my social media, I very, very rarely tweet or post anything that has to do with religion or politics because people get so mad. I mean, it's unbelievable. I made a post, um, the the United States Patent and Trademark Office, the USPTO, made a post saying that they were revoking the rights for the Washington Redskins to use that name because mm. it was basically a, you know, it's it's an epithet. I mean, yeah. and yeah. And, then, and it's so funny because there's all these people defending, there's Washington fans that are defending this going like, no, no, the natives love it. They're so, <laughs> I go, really? How are you? Yeah, they're, they're fine with that name. I go, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. You don't walk up to a, an African-American and say, hey, black skin, how are you doing? Like that. You, think, <laughs> you think you're going to get out of that room without getting your face punched in? Yeah, like, come right. on. I mean, it's not, yeah. that's a total racist name. And it's it's been proven. The founder of the Washington team um, was the most racist owner in the history of the NFL. Wow. He was the last owner to allow African-Americans to be part of his team. The federal government ordered him. They said, you have to have a player that is a black player. And he was like, mm, he was so angry. He was so mad because he didn't want any of those, those black folk on his team. I mean, he was so yeah. upset about that. So Washington has historically been the most racist team. And that name was horrible, you know, to have this entire time. Yeah. And um, I remember when they revoked, I, I cheered, I retweeted that tweet from USPTO. And I said, congratulations on finally doing something to stop this ridiculous, you know, to end this, this horrible um, name that they've used for so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I received so many just venomous types really? of posts. Oh, in response to that, just people are saying, you, are you a proponent of, of more government intervention? Do you want a big brother state of society of, of how you, uh, this is what you're asking for when you let the government dictate this and that and, that, and just flipping wow. out on me? Um, somebody, you know, somebody called my mother, a, you know, like, uh, what did they say? They said, um, too bad your whore of a mother wasn't, wasn't murdered before she birthed you or something like Holy that. Holy crap. Jeez. And I saw that. And it was in Spanish, actually. They had written in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I had someone translate that for me. Uh, that, was a, that was a fan that spoke Spanish. And they spoke back to them saying, like, you know, you know, how dare you say something like this to Garrett? Yeah. You know, blah, 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 blah. That's so uncalled for, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then I thought it was weird because this is an issue of the United States Patent Trademark Office. Why is this person from another country calling <laughs> saying this? And so they were yeah. also anti-government, I guess. You know, so they were really, yeah. really... Um, and so I spent the next seven to 10 days responding to everyone. Wow. And this took me hours and hours and hours and out, countless hours in dealing with this. And the people that were the worst, um, I, ended up, I ended up getting their home number. 
and calling them at home. Really? <laughs> and I, I had a discussion with all of the, except for the Spanish speaking person. I never <laughs> received, I never talked to that person, but everybody else, the, all the American English speakers, I did. Um, I had probably five or six conversations with people at their wow. home. And at the end of the conversation, I explained to them where I was coming from. I explained to them how, why, you know, um, like if, if, I, if there was a team called the, the, the Toledo yellow skins, you know, or something, and it showed some guy with a rice patty hat and yeah. dressed like Mickey Rooney, we're looking like Mickey Rooney from breakfast at Tiffany's. I'd be pissed. You know, yeah. I would think that's ridiculous. So I, I just put everything into context and explained how much racism I faced living in Memphis in the South mm-hmm. um, where Racism is alive and well in the South. And I explained this to, to these people. And by the end of the conversation, every single one of them said, sorry. Yeah. I said, I'm sorry. I, I you know, tweeted that, those things. You're actually a pretty cool guy. Thanks for calling me. And that, yeah. that was it. So huh. that was the end of that. But that gave me the lesson of like, you know, don't, uh, if you're going to tweet stuff or post stuff, stay out of those, you know, political or religious type of um, areas just to yeah. just to save yourself the hassle yeah. and the time yeah. and and the and the and the heartache and the and you know and just the overall the time that, you know, that's wasted yeah. having to read all this you know vitriol that's coming from people's uh, uh, computers and, and mobile yeah. devices oh, it's unbelievable well, it's, and it's so true like Twitter right now it feels like you, you feel like it's your own personal space and you can say anything and not oh yeah um, and and it's so much hate just gets spread around on there it, yeah. it's so oh, yeah. toxic and like but and I feel like at the same time as you experience yourself it's like so often we there, there, there's so much more as people that that unites us than mm. divides us. And even though there's yeah. so much issue right now, and we focus on the negative as people, it's just like fundamentally we we have so much in common, and often we can find common ground if we just have a conversation mm-hmm. and have it be very um, frank and very honest and be able to listen. You know, yeah. and I think Which I'm, I'm just so on social media. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> so uh, so grateful in some ways that like you know, your air on, on uh, Voyager and, and Deep Space Nine and TNG, like it existed kind of before Twitter because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure it would have been a, a, a very different kind of uh, experience as as, a, yeah. as an actor and as a writer on, on that show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for doing this. I know we've been taking up a lot of your time, but we really appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you, I've, I've digressed so much. And that's one thing I was talking to Megan about before I was doing this. She goes, make sure you stay on point. Don't <laughs> go off and talk about And what did I do? I go ramble off on this direction, ramble off. She goes, they're not going to get their questions in if you do that. And so I'm going to ask you guys, are there other questions we haven't gotten to that I can go ahead and quickly answer right now before we sign off? Is there anything else that we didn't touch on? Guys, I'm sure there's got to be something. Else. I guess I one? didn't really have anything. No. Like, like I said, you know, I nothing really all that specific. Oh, I'll ask one. I'll ask one. Just experiences to, and uh, just to end on a end on a Voyager note. Okay, here. all right. I'll Peter's, one. Peter's got one. Go. Um, oh, now I have to choose one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> here's, you know, what's interesting to me as I've been watching the show again uh, during COVID quarantine and and. and appreciating it so much more. I, I love how Star Trek, you can watch it multiple times in your life and each time you watch it at a different stage in your life, um, you can pick up and enjoy different things. Um, one thing that I loved watching this one is like Harry Kim, he gets kind of 
a lot of shit sometimes, especially from fan base. He never got promoted, blah, blah, blah. But this time I noticed something amazing. He gets a lot of action with the ladies. <laughs> and, and I think he rivals James T. Kirk, if I'm being honest here. Like, yes, okay. It's just home run after home run here. Um, Who is this? An old friend. Make that two old friends. The twin mistresses of evil. I should have known. I'm afraid your trusty sidekick is indisposed at the moment. Don't worry about me, Captain. I can handle myself. We'll see about that. Bring me the brain probe. The what? The brain probe, you insolent fool. All right. Your wish is my command. Sorry, Harry. No problem. Torture me all you want, Demonica. I'll never crack. Oh, but you will. By the time we're through with you, you'll be begging to tell us everything you know. You'll be our puppet. Our slave. Great. You're doing great. You're done for, Demonica. Melicia, she's Demonica. Whatever. You two are going to jail for a very long time. Move it, Toots. He's so brave. It's a shame we'll have to kill him. I've got everything under control, Proton. Shouldn't you be getting back to headquarters? Leave you at the mercy of these two? Come on, Tom. I'm just getting to the good part. Senior officers, report to the bridge. I guess the good part will have to wait. <laughs> was, I love that it. Some, was that conscious when you were acting, or was it just now no. looking back? It's like, oh, right. No, <laughs> I, I was more in the in the, of the camp of I was more thinking about why can't Harry find a you know a, a relationship that works? Why are they <laughs> why do they keep giving him these dead end relationships? But I but that was me looking at the glass half empty. The glass <laughs> half full should have been man. I'm getting a lot of action. This guy is all <laughs> over the place. Yeah, he's like the space gigolo. You know, I mean, I, don't know. I, I, I definitely could have thought about it a different way for sure. But but uh, I never thought about. That that when I was filming it, I kept thinking, <laughs> why can't they have a, you know, one relationship that sticks, that actually works? You know, that was yeah. my big thing that I kept thinking about. Peter, this is a really interesting observation. I am, one of the things that I, I, I do a lot is when I look at people, I see other people if within their faces, like a hybrid of people. So when I look at you, Peter, and this is my Good first boy. time gazing upon you, <laughs> I see you are a mix of Two people to me. You are a mix of retired quarterback Peyton Manning okay. and Connor Trenier from Enterprise. Oh, wow. So if you take those two faces and stick together, you get Peter Holmstrom, is what I'm going to say. I can kind of see that. I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. You hear that, ladies? Hear that. There you go. There you go. You hear that, ladies? If you're into Peyton Manning and Connor Trenier, Peter's your guy. That's amazing. I All right. It. I love it. Awesome. Oh, God. Uh, Thanks a lot, guys. Oh, you yeah. Another one? You have part two? Did you have a part two? Are you done? It- oh, you know, um, I, actually, I mean, a quick question. Yeah. Um, looking back, especially as your time on Delta Flyers, and, and definitely yeah. please um, uh, plug, the, plug the website if, uh, mm-hmm. before we get off. But um, sure. Uh, uh, you know, what has been a, a surprising, like an episode you watched again for the podcast, and you were like, wow, that episode's actually, I've forgotten that, but it's really good. And and something that just surprised you when when you were watching these again. Wow, um, I would have to say, distant origin. Mm, yes, 
the one with the the, the dinosaurs. Dinosaur, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Yeah, and then reading that this that was considered one of the one of one of the you know top Voyager episodes, and and yeah. I just. I just watching that, I was thinking, man, this this episode fires on all cylinders because mainly because for me, the guest stars, the guest stars were every single guest star was amazing. Because sometimes on Voyager, you'll have one main guest star and then a sub guest star that was so-and-so's cousin that knew the casting director. Like (laughs) I got the role and you're like, oh, good for you. This is your first (laughs) guest starring gig and you are nervous as heck and your lines are not coming out the way they should be. But we love you anyway. You know, that's usually what you see. But in Distant Origin, each one of those guys was like an all-star. You know what I'm mm, saying? They yeah. each, they, every every one of them just really t- did justice to their roles. And I, I th- and again, the writing and 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 just the whole concept of of a, a dinosaur race that basically yeah. escaped the um, extinction event is pretty darn cool. I think you know. <laughs> yeah. So I loved I loved that episode, and and I didn't remember it being as as amazing as it was when I first oh. saw it. So. That, yeah. That's the one I guess I could pick. Um, how about you guys? Is there one that when you watch, you're like, hey, this is really, is there one that always kind of come that, that stands out more? You know, for me, and I'll, I'll say, and then Lisa, because uh, you were there and you'd I'd be able to have a far better answer for this, I'm sure. But um, for me, just recently, I watched Lisa's episode, Scientific Method, which I was just like, this is so good. Yeah, this that's like, a good one. Too. Uh, a plus Star Trek, just TV in general. I was just like, yeah. my God. I, yeah. I, I, I had remembered it from the last time I watched it, but I, I hadn't quite been like, wow. And and that that uh, happened to me the last time I watched it. I was like, good God, this is so good. So good. So there you go, Lisa oh, Clank. Look at that. Yeah. Is it? How about you, Lisa? Is there something when you rewatch, you're like, oh, I, I like that. Well, it's funny because uh, I hadn't, I really hadn't seen any Voyager episodes since they aired originally. Um, oh. And so I've, I've really been kind of going back and picking out a few. And yeah. I watched the Captain Proton episode. Um, <laughs> oh, that yeah. was just a bunch of fun. <laughs> I got to say, I, I thought Kate was just fantastic, and it was oh. it was so much fun. Yeah, you got. You have to understand that day she walked in on the set as Arachnia. She can't, she walked in like Arachnia. She didn't. Yeah. <laughs> she was so in because wardrobe is everything. I mean, wardrobe, if it's done well, mm-hmm. it can really set the tone for the actor. The actor yeah. can really start feeling that character because of the wardrobe and that that high collar on her and that that everything that she had, the way her hair was done. Yeah. She walked in with this gracefulness, you know, that was Arachnia <laughs> that that was not Kate Mulgrew. It was Arachnia who came on the set. Like she was already in character. And yeah. typically we never did that. Like none of us are really method actors, you know. We don't keep the life going when we're walking to craft service to get a, a candy <laughs> bar. We didn't care about that. And this day she was all about Arachnia. And it was, I remember I was tickled pink watching yeah. her walk onto the set <laughs> soundstage. I thought, oh my God, she's so into character and she looks so good. I was so yeah. excited, you know, because I kept thinking a lot of times whenever it's a Paris um, yeah, holo program, like, the, you know, it's just Paris and I doing it, right? And mm-hmm. I kept yeah. thinking, yeah, they're not going to include everyone else. And then when they included Janeway, I thought, oh, yes, it's on now. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was just wonderful. I agree. Good choice, guys. Wow. Good choice. <laughs> all right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, all right. so Garrett Wan, thank you again for being here. This has been fantastic. Um, where can people get in touch with you on uh, social yeah. media? Yeah, social media. You can, I have a, a fan page on uh, the Garrett Wong fan page on Facebook. Um, I have uh, a Garrett Wong 
basic account on Facebook as well that I usually accept fans to, which is pretty full. Facebook has this ridiculous 5,000 person yes. friend <laughs> limit, which is so stupid, but you know, it is what it is. But primarily I'm on Twitter which and Instagram, and it's the same uh, name. It's my name with my middle initial in there. So it's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-R. W-A-N-G. And I only did that to copy Jerry Ryan because she did Jerry L. Ryan when she first <laughs> did. Tw- yeah, she's the first Twitter adopter of the Voyager cast. And so when she encouraged me to get a Twitter account, I followed her by putting my middle initial in there. And I thought, man, this is, this is, this is the way to go. I mean, mm-hmm. but then I realized... Why did I do that? Because everyone's going to search my name without the freaking R in there. And so then I typed in at Garrett Wong and then pops up this other account, which is not mine, right? And so uh, then this guy has been getting all these tweets, right? So finally I tweeted him and I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, oh, it's you. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's me. And he's like, oh my gosh, I get so many tweets, you know, (laughs) meant for you. And I don't know what to do with them. I'm like, well, first of all, could you change your profile photo, please? Because it's profile photo. It's of two kids getting up out of the ocean from the back. It's taken from the back of a boat. Okay. And you see these two kids climbing up the ladder and you see the top of their heads. You can tell they're Asian, but other than that, you don't know. So it looks like, oh, this is Garrett when he was a kid with his cousin or his brother, whatever. And so I was like, can you please change your profile photo so it shows your face so people know it's not me, right? And he was like, no. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm just asking a favor, brother. And I was like, wait a minute, how old are you? He's like, 13. I go, oh, that that makes all the sense (laughs) in the world right now, you little rebellious teenager. So... So yeah, so if you go to at Garrett Wong on Twitter, it's it's a rebellious Singapore Chinese teenager. Well, now he's probably in his 20s now, but he's you know, back then he still keeps that same darn photo. So yeah. So those are the yeah, Garrett R. Wong. And then um, um the Delta Flyers, you can take a listen on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you can download uh podcast, or you can go to the deltaflyers.org. So T-H-E-D-E-L-T-A-F-L-Y-E-R-S. Make sure you have the S at the end. Because if you look for the Delta Flyer podcast, that's two fans that have put out yeah. a podcast about Del- uh, Voyager. So sure. the deltaflyers.org, O-R-G. And you can take a listen to some of our um, episodes as well as see our little merch store of, with our wonderful merch that we've come up with. We've come up with some, we have this one mask that we came up with and it says warp particles on the front. <laughs> this, little, this spiral of warp particles because of that, that famous line from season one where Torres and Janeway come up with a solution at the same time and they, they yell out warp particles at the same time. And, and this was an inside joke that Beltran, Chakotay, Robert Beltran and I used to do this all the time where I would pretend that I was uh, Balana, or I would be Janeway and he would be Balana, and we would do the whole monologue and then together we'd go four particles like that. And then, <laughs> so yeah, that was our inside joke. But anyway, so that's where you can find me. But thank you so much to both of you. I, I've had a blast and um, thank you for, for um, you know, allowing me to kind of go all over the place in this... <laughs> We're here for it. We've, we've enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Peter. I want. I want to. I want you to send me that uh, background, though. I want. Oh, to- sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I could. Uh, 
I, if you can email me that. I will email. Yeah, no, absolutely. Or, I, I wish I could credit the original uh, art because I did not do this, as I said. But um, yeah. You know, to, uh, yeah, no, I love it. It's fantastic. I love it too. So, <laughs> so Lisa, you can give him my email. Peter can have my email. And then okay. uh, if that. I can get that, that, maybe I can doctor that up to put, you know, Seska and a Borg and someone else yes. in there. <laughs> <laughs> That would be amazing. That would be yeah. amazing. Um, and also the documentary, um, people can't still contribute money, right? So like it's yeah, uh, I think so. There's a way to okay, still cool. yeah, yeah. I think and that's so still that available. Is in production. I know Lisa, you did an interview a few weeks ago, so that's a uh, it's a very exciting project. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it progresses. So um, yeah, and I think the title is it's to the journey now. So I think yeah, they actually think so. have a title, which is which you know which comes from the big Harry Kim speech. Everyone uh, um, uh, remembers that speech. So that's that's. A, that's a good title for this. I think it's, I think a, perfect so title. I think it's a very good title. It's a very good title. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Garrett Wan, again, thank you. Uh, for, yeah, I would say Inglorious Trexperts, top 50 most beautiful people. Garrett Wan is absolutely uh, on the on the top of the list. In, in our <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> anyway. Thank you, Peter Holmstrom, <laughs> my Scandinavian American friend, <laughs> and Lisa Klink, my German American friend. Is that yes. right? Yeah, Klink is Deutsche, and Holmstrom is, is it Norwegian or is it Danish? What is it? No idea. No. What? <laughs> it's something. It's something. You don't, you I don't think, know? I think, I think vaguely Swedish. Swedish? I, I, yeah, it's yeah, Swedish. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. Holmstrom, I yeah. I Have know. you been so, back to your home country yet? No, I, I'm I'm firmly, uh, uh, you know... American, I guess, and and I, I don't really, I don't have a whole lot of desire to go to. I mean, I, I well, that's not true actually. I have, um, I had a connecting flight one time in Stockholm, so <laughs> I was, I was in the airport, and there was a lot of. Uh, it's a very nice airport. I'll say that there's a lot. It's oddly like a lot of woodwork and and not a lot of security, so it's a little weird for that. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was it was nice. It was nice. So. You gotta check it out, and it's, I, it's I, funny that you only. Saw the Stockholm airport. That was it. <laughs> I was coming oh. home. I was leaving from England, coming back to the U.S., and so they just had me pop over and then connecting flights. So I was just in the in the airport. What airlines were you on? They, they, they the cheap ones. The cheap ones. They flew you from. You know what they did? They flew you from London away yes. from the U.S. They to go to, to, yes. to go to Stockholm and yes. then back to the U.S. Yeah. Oh. Goodness. It was great. I actually like they didn't print out my second ticket. And so I was just wandering around the airport and somehow I got out of security and <laughs> onto the other side. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And then they literally just let me back in. And I don't even have what? a ticket yet. And I'm just walking up to the gate, being like, I don't, I don't have a ticket. No one's tried to shoot me yet. So I'm guessing I'm not, you know, I'm like, okay, I promise I'm not a terrorist or anything. Oh my like, yeah, no, God. Just, I guess they're so trusting up there. They just, what year was this? This is pre 9 oh This was, be, uh, right? No, this was, this was 2018, 2019. Oh, this is yeah, it very okay. pre pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, but. Yeah, um, but they were just yeah. It was it was bizarre. I was freaking out for two hours. So I was like, I'm going to be stuck in the Stockholm airport forever. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go on a limb here. I think if you did make a spring or summer trip to go see the, the country of your origin, that you would actually enjoy it. I, I do. Sure I feel like it would be a wonderful. Trip I'm sure it would. I mean, it, it looks beautiful on whatever mm. Swedish film or TV I ever watch. It just looks gorgeous, and I, I'd love to go there. But. Yeah, um, I'd love to go to many places in the world. There's lots, I, of, lots of beauty out there. Lots of beauty. When I was working on Voyager, the um, one of my upstairs neighbor was actually a former Miss Stockholm. <laughs> so she was, yes. Yeah, so she wow. was a, a Swedish beauty pageant winner, and I, I brought wow. her to a UPN event actually wow. as my date. <laughs> and I remember as I'm walking up, 
Terrence Howard, that actor, the African-American yeah. actor, he was yeah. on, I think, Homeboys in Outer Space or something mm -hmm. like that, yeah. another UPN show. And he was dressed all, he was just completely pimped out. He had a cane, he had his hat, and he, and he, was, he was coming in at the same time I was. And he sees me with my neighbor and he see, he's like, damn, like that. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, who is this? Like that. I go, this is Miss Stockholm, of course. You know, I <laughs> I will always remember the, the reaction of Terrence Howard to my, oh, my UPN event date that night. <laughs> Someone from your home country. Yeah. That's so go amazing. back there, Peter. I highly encourage you. I think everyone, whether or not you've been in this country for, for eight generations, go to your uh, country of origin. Like that's one thing that really helps people be a better human being is travel and seeing yeah. how other people live and seeing yeah. how lucky we are yeah. living in this country. Good yeah. Lord, there's some crazy restrictions in other countries or things that they do in other countries where you're going to go, my goodness, thank God I live on America. I live in Amer on American soil. You know, you really, you really, it's perspective. That's, that's yes. what it is. Yes. It gives you the best perspective that you can possibly have when you travel, you know, Absolutely. and, and most people, most Americans idea of travel is I'm going to go to London. I'm like, okay, so you may, oh, you ventured out of your comfort zone to a country that speaks only your language. You know, it's like, yeah. wow, like, no, <laughs> no, yeah. go out of your comfort zone, go to Nicaragua, yeah. check that out. Yeah, that's where they get paid eight. The salary there is $8 a day, yeah. $1 an hour. You, one US dollar an hour is what the average citizen makes. So when you look at that, you're thinking, huh, for the whole day, They've made basically what I pay for Starbucks or something like, you know, it's just like, yeah. oh my God, you know? So it's all perspective. So I highly encourage it. And we're, we're very lucky. And I think we're very lucky to live in the time we do too. I mean, yeah, yeah. the news yeah. makes it sound like it's all doom and gloom, but but we're in one of the better times in human history. And it yeah. only, hopefully we'll only get better, of course, but- um, Agreed, you know, agreed. It's a, it's a, and, yeah. and the key, Peter, is really to have every leader in the world sit down and force feed them Star Trek episodes. <laughs> they need to watch all Star Trek. Yes. And then all of a sudden, all war and conflict will be over. You're going to see Palestinians okay. and Israelis shaking hands and saying, hey, you watch TNG? I did too. Hey. You know, so this is what we need. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Star Trek bringing the world together. Yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so it. much. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, and for us listeners out there, we want to say thank you very much for being here. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, we are available at Inglorious Trek on Twitter and Inglorious Trek Spirits on Facebook and Instagram. We want to thank our uh, sound engineer, Bill Ritter, as well as producer, Natalie Miscali, and executive producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman, as well as everyone at Electric Entertainment. Um, so for Lisa Clank and myself, we want to say thank you for being here and keep on trekking ingloriously. Of course. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.